0: Morning, church. <laughs> it's good to be in the Lord's sanctuary this morning, isn't it? Well, we're glad that you're here with us, whether you're in person or you're watching online. If you are watching online, we'd like to just invite you to uh, just communicate and talk with the hosts that we have available for you. Ask them any questions you'd uh, you, you'd see fit, and um, uh, just connect with them, please. Um, this morning, I'd like to just invite you all to stand as we prepare our hearts just to go into this time of worship. There's a scripture I'd like to read out of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians 1, 3-8. This is what Paul writes. He says, Praise be to the God our and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of the glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, this is chapter 7, listen to this, in him we have found redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Church, this morning we are saved by grace and not by works. Through our salvation we enter a beautiful covenant with the Lord, no matter what you brought in with you this morning, I encourage you just to just find peace in the fact that we are one with God. We are in relation with him. And he is our Lord. Amen. All righty. Let's praise him.
1: Let your kingdom be. From the evil one, let your kingdom come. It's yours, it's yours, all yours, all yours. The kingdom, the power, the glory are yours. It's yours, it's yours, all yours. Forever and ever, the kingdom is yours. It's yours, it's yours, yours. yours. All yours. All yours. all yours, all yours. The kingdom, the power, the glory. Let Your will be done On earth as in heaven Right here in my heart Father let Your kingdom come Father let Your will be done On earth as in heaven Right here in my heart On earth as in heaven Right here in my heart
2: You give life you give life you are love you bring life to the dark sing all the earth, and all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing
3: Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. It is good to declare His excellences. For Lord, you are worthy. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. I want to join my voice with others in welcoming you here this morning to Springbrook. My name's uh, Tim Beavis. I serve as uh, one of the members of the pastoral team. And uh, as we come to this point in the service, as we do the beginning of each new month, we set apart time to observe the ordinance of communion. Uh, That is, that this is something that the Lord Jesus Himself gave to us as a gift and as a command to remind us and to instruct us to keep our eyes fixed again and again on the wonder of our salvation through Him. Now, you may have heard this week that uh, there was a lot of talk on the news uh, apparently the uh, the lottery winnings total reached somewhere around about one point two five billion dollars i didn 't play therefore i didn 't win but uh, but sometimes when we hear that kind of ridiculous amount of money, we are uh, drawn to start thinking, "Oh, if I had that kind of money what what would I do and when we think of such a, a vast sum of money one point two five billion dollars, we might be tempted to think that we could, if we had that, that we could purchase anything. But the reality is that the most important thing that any of us need, we still wouldn't be able to afford. Because as God's Word tells us, every single one of us Has rebelled against God, we have sinned and fallen short of His perfect and holy standard. And that there is nothing that we can do in our own effort, in our own merit, in our own ability to reconcile or to restore our state before God. We are his enemies. We are under judgment. And we owe a debt that we could not afford, even if we had $1.25 billion. But thanks be to God, what we could not do for ourselves, Christ has done for us. Even as we've just sung, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting Why? When we could not afford the debt that we owed, Christ paid it on our behalf. As it says in 1 Peter, know that you were ransomed from the futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When we come to the table of communion, we remember that a price that we could never have afforded has been paid for us in that Jesus gave his body as he hung there on the cross and allowed his blood to be shed in payment for our sin. And so during this next song, I want to invite you as you are ready to do so to come forward and to collect the elements, to take them back to your seat and to spend some time quietly before the Lord in prayer. For we are instructed that we ought to be careful how we take these elements. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate, but also to examine your heart before the Lord as you take them. If you're here visiting this morning and you don't know that you're yet a follower of Jesus, if you never received that, that payment for your sin and know that your sins have been forgiven, we would encourage you just to stay in your seats where you are. If you are with us this morning and you would find it a little more difficult to get down to the front to collect those elements during this next song, just raise your hand and one of our usher team would be delighted to come and to serve you where you are. Father, we thank you that you did not spare even your one and only son but willingly gave him up for us all to pay the debt that we could never afford to cleanse us of our sin to set us free and to adopt us into your family Lord as we take of these elements may we remember the depths of your mercy the lavishness of your love And may we stand in awe once again at your kindness to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: How great the Good night.
0: you, Father. You deserve all the glory and all the praise this morning. God, we thank you for what you've done, your spirit being in this place, in this sanctuary. Father, we thank you. God, thank you for just being our living hope, for knowing that there was no end even when the last breath was breathed. Father, you were still going to raise from the grave. We believe that this morning and we praise you for that. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated.
4: Hey, good morning, church family. Good morning, good morning. Uh, My name is Jeff. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, If you're visiting with us this morning and it's either your first time or one of your first couple of times, I hope you've been made to feel welcome, and I want to welcome you here as well. Um, We would also like to connect with you, and so, um, you know, there are lots of ways to do that. If you're watching online, a lot of people actually don't realize, but there's an actual chat there in which we have some folks that are willing to chat with you, to talk with you, and, and even pray with you if you're willing to do that. So if you're watching online and you want to drop your name in there and just let us know that you're there, or you can fill out the online connection card there and let us know the, that you're visiting with us you know, digitally. Um, if you're here in person, we have connection cards you know, in the aisles there if you want uh, to find one, and you can either fill that out there and leave it, or you can hand it to one of the um, you know, greeters as you're you know, making your way out. Um, additionally, you could also just text here to eight four four two three eight seven five zero seven, 238 7507 And uh, please just, you know, do so and allow us to connect with you and get to know that you're here worshiping with us because we're very thankful that you're here. And so we have a very, very, very busy ministry season coming up, you know, soon. Um, you a, you a lot of things going on. Uh, Dean, one of our elders, is telling us about a board game night coming up on the 12th. Um, And then coming up, you know, this week on the 10th, this Thursday, we have our Grief Share ministry, you know, kicks off. And so um, if you're in a season of grief and maybe you think that you have a good handle on it or maybe you're just willing to admit, I don't have a good good handle on it, either way, you know, this is a good ministry for you to be able to be part of a community who, um, you know, share and support one another. So if that describes you and and you have something that either you're dealing with from a long time ago or if it's something that's new and fresh— you know, uh, you know, join this group. You can do so by going to springbrook.org forward slash grief share or by texting grief share to you know the eight four four number listed there. So but that that starts this week, so please register if you're able to do so. Um, and then we're gonna keep on rolling here because in two weeks, August nineteenth and twentieth, we have our prayer first weekend coming up. And so uh, there's a lot of stuff you know you know for everybody on this particular weekend and I do hope that you'll participate. Um, Starting on uh, Saturday morning, the 19th, there are a couple of workshops that you can register for. One is praying for your kids and your grandkids. Another one is prayer evangelism. So if you have folks in your life that you've been uh, wanting to pray for, for them to come to know the Lord, those are opportunities you can register for on that Saturday morning between 9 and noon. Um, That evening, there is a specific group for Springbrook leaders. And then um, coming back the next morning on August the 20th, uh, Brian Moak from Converge will be here to share with us Sunday morning. And so uh, you know, he will uh, be leading in that same vein. And then later on that evening, uh, there's a 90-minute concert of prayer, a time for us to gather as you know a body together, and before we jump into that busy ministry season, to seek the Lord first and what he would have for us. So um, you can go to springbrook.org forward slash prayer first and uh, you register, let us know that you'll be attending, and again, I do hope, you know, that you'll do so. And lastly, we have a ministry that I have a very personal connection and affinity with, and that's, uh, you know, Replanted as a, uh, you know, three-time adoptive father and current, you know, foster father, and Replanted exists to helping foster and adoptive families heal, connect, and thrive, and, you know, they actually, you know, meet here, Um, and they do have some specific needs, though, so You know, even if you don't fall into that particular category and you're still willing to come alongside and and help some of these families, they do have some things and ways you can participate. Um, They're looking for some children's uh, mentors willing to go through some training and, uh, you know, commit to, you know, a full school year, which may sound like it's scary, but guys, they meet one time a month. So it's, it's not like, you know, you're signing your life away by doing so, and you're able to, you know, play with and, and mentor, you know, some really cool kids. Some of mine might be included within that, so I'm a little bit biased there. Uh, but they're also looking for some couples to join their leadership team from uh, coordinating children and also, you know, hospitality. Or if you're just simply, you know, interested families, um, you can go to springbrook.org forward slash replanted. Or um, if you guys know Sierra Belton, if you don't, I'll connect you with her, um, you know, but she's, you know, heading that up, and if you have questions or general information, we'd be happy to help you with that. So lots of ways to get involved co- coming up this next month, you know, jump in if you're not already involved somewhere, um, and again, i be happy to, you know, answer any questions for anybody that they have out in the hallway. So thank you very much, and Pastor Tim will be out here in just a moment.
3: My wife and I both love to read, which is probably evidenced by the fact that we have um, about five to six thousand books in our home. So uh, if anybody would like to store any of them, I would greatly appreciate that because we need room for more. Um, But uh, even though we enjoy reading, uh, my wife will often have Four or five, or sometimes even six books on the go at the same time. I tend to be more of a, a one or two at a time kind of person. Uh, also, uh, um, she enjoys a different genre than I do. Uh, uh, as a pastor, I have many theology books and books uh, re- regarding uh, ministry and history and various other things, but I love a good thriller, whereas uh, she will enjoy uh, a, a, a a period piece or uh, something more in that vein. But one of the other ways in which we're a little bit different when it comes to our love for books is that when she's looking for a new book, she's one of those people who sometimes at the bookstore or at the library will um, uh, will turn and, and will read the end of the book first. Now, I just don't really get that because y- 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 you take the fun out of the uh, out of the story. The, you know the conclusion. You know how it ends. But if you ask her about that, the reason that she'll give is she'll say, well, I, I want to know how it ends so that when I find myself in a confusing or a difficult or a stressful chapter partway through the book, it helps me to keep going. And, uh, she's not here, she'll be here in the second service, so I'll admit this to you now. That's actually a really biblical perspective, though I loathe to admit that it's a good thing to read the end of the book first. It's a really biblical perspective because we do need to keep our eyes on the last things in order to help us through some of the chapters that we have to wade through in our lives, between where we are today and that great day. Over the last several weeks, we've had the privilege of studying together through the letter of 2 Peter, the epistle that we find in the New Testament. And uh, we wrapped up, in a sense, our study of that letter last week. But before we start our new series next week, I wanted to dive a little bit further into something that Peter has brought up and reminded us of again and again, and it is the reality of the return of Christ. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time thinking about what it means to love His appearing Now, whenever somebody is talking about the return of Christ or uh, uh, um, eschatology, which is the study of the last things, some people start to salivate. So, let me just tell you, I am not going to unveil or unmask the Antichrist. I'm not going to give you charts and uh, timelines or different things, because the truth of the matter is that as we study through Scripture, that is never, ever the goal. Of the biblical authors. Whenever the return of Christ, whenever the last things are spoken of, it is always so that we might understand how we should live now in light of the certainty of his coming. It's not that those things are not important, but that is never the goal of the biblical authors. And so this morning we are going to uh, come to a passage of Scripture that is not in second. Peter but rather in second Timothy and there's a sense in which we're going to look at the last words or some of the last words of the apostle Paul as we consider and are instructed as to how we are to live in light of the last things the coming of Christ again In our passage, we're going to see that Paul is able to communicate a great confidence, knowing for sure that even in the final months of his life, that he has completed the work that God has given to him to do. And certain that he will take a hold of the prize that is coming for those who are faithful. And so, I I want us to really think this morning as you turn with me now to 2 Timothy in chapter 4, 2 Timothy in chapter 4, where we're going to be beginning in verse 1, and to consider how can we live now in such a way that at the end of our lives, we might have the same kind of confidence that we're going to see the Apostle Paul expressing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we read these words, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching— But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing." As the Apostle Paul pens these words, it is in this letter which was written to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Paul is writing just perhaps a matter of months before he is to be put to death because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in his second Roman imprisonment, and he knows that there is going to be no further appeal, that there is going to be no release. He is under a sentence of death. And uh, this passage is familiar in certain contexts. In fact, it's often used, especially when addressing pastors and elders and talking about this charge that we're going to see in just a moment. But it is not something that is only addressed to those in vocational ministries for every one of us today. And where Paul begins here is to remind us that Christ is coming again. And so we are to get down to the work of the gospel. We see that in the first two verses here as he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching so Paul here gives uh, uh, this charge, setting out in a sense clearly the obligation to do the work that has been entrusted to us. If we had the time to go back in further into the context of chapter three, we would see there that Paul has been warning this young man, Timothy, and, and he's been saying, be on guard against those who might uh, lead you astray. And, and one of the ways in which you can be on guard is to remember the truth as you have learned it and grown up in it, as you have been taught it, specifically the truth of the Word of God. And he goes on to uh, to reference the fact that, that all of Scripture is God-breathed, and all of it is useful for teaching and for correcting, for, re- for rebuking and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, he points to the fact that the, the truth that he is commending to Timothy is the faithful and reliable scripture, which is the very word of God. And so, when he says here that uh, Timothy preached the word, he has something specific in mind that, whatever we may be doing, whatever our arena of ministry may be, whether or not we stand publicly before people proclaiming the word, whether we are engaged in personal evangelism or one on one discipleship, whether we're a small group leader, whether we serve in the, in the Sunday school, whether we are simply discipling our own family, whether we serve in another context, we are on the grass cutting team or or uh, uh, the building maintenance team, that whatever we do in our service to the Lord, it should be grounded and founded in the Word of God and flow out of that. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because in verse 1, we find Paul making this charge and we see the weightiness of it. Because he, he says... In a sense, I call as my witness God the Father and Christ the Son. And, and then he tells us, and he is coming to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing, that word appearing is a reference to his second coming that we've been talking about in recent weeks and his kingdom. And so, uh, Paul is basically saying, Timothy, I have something serious to say to you. Church, I have something serious to say to you. And I am giving you this commission in the very presence of the Father and the Son and in light of the certainty of His coming and judgment. Pay attention. Pay attention. And the implication here is that because we do what we do before the presence of Christ and in light of His coming return, we ought to do the work of the gospel in season and, and out of season. That is both when it is convenient and comfortable and when it is inconvenient and uncomfortable. When it is popular and when it is unpopular, when we feel prepared and when we feel unprepared, that we are to engage in that which has been entrusted to us. And so, since Christ is coming again, we are to get down to the work of the gospel. But then he goes on in the next few verses, verses 3 to 5, to to show us that Christ is coming again. But until then, you are going to be tempted to slow down or even to abandon the work. Don't. We see this as he writes these words, For the time is coming, and we might well add to that, and is certainly here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so while the faithful servant of Christ is to remember that, that our Master has commissioned us to a task, and that He is coming again, there are going to increasingly be times when it seems like nobody cares. There's going to increasingly be times where it seems like nobody's interested, where nobody wants to listen, where sound doctrine is scoffed at. Or as we live in a world today that says, oh, well, you know, that's okay. That's your truth. But that doesn't mean that's my truth. There's so much wrong with that statement. He says, be aware. Because increasingly people are not going to care what we are doing as Christians, or what we are teaching as followers of Christ, or what the Word of God says, because, he tells us here, they are enticed by the things that they want to hear. And so they accumulate for themselves people who are saying precisely what they want to hear. Now, I don't really have to go into a whole lot of detail in this, because if your eyes are open, you'll know that this is very much a world in which we live. And it's true at every level. We only follow the news programs that tell us the news from the perspective that we want to hear it. We only get together with people who tell us things that we want to hear. And increasingly, we live in a day where when somebody does have something important and hard to say... It's responded to with things like comments that say, I'm uncomfortable. I feel like you are controlling me. And we need to be careful. We need to be wise, never abusive, never heavy handed. But we live in a world where people only want to hear what they want to hear. And dare I say it, in much of the church, this often happens as well. We stay away from uncomfortable subjects. We organize programs and our services to try to attract as many people as possible and never, ever to offend anyone. And Paul says, in these last days, people will do this. They will have no interest in sound doctrine, but as for you, as for you. You see, the, the temptation that we face in a world that doesn't want to hear truth is that on the one hand, as we realize that nobody is interested that there is not a sense of, uh, of, of chasing after things. We can be in danger. We can be tempted, first of all, to grow lazy. To grow lazy and to, well, if nobody's going to pay attention, then why put any effort in? Or on the other hand, we can, we can be in danger of compromising truth by so watering it down that we are constantly just trying to win The favor and the good opinion of people, even though we are looking for it while sacrificing what they need to hear. What Paul says to this young pastor, Timothy, is as for you, as for you, while others may be doing that, as for you, stay on track. Don't compromise. Don't slow down. Don't abandon the work. That's for you. Be sober-minded or keep your head on straight. Endure suffering and the opposition that comes from holding fast to truth. Do the work of an evangelist. Keep on telling people about salvation that is found by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And don't give up. Fulfill your ministry. He says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Don't slacken, but fulfill your ministry. And the implication here is quite straightforward. Before the presence of Christ, who is coming again... We have been entrusted with a task. We've been entrusted with a gospel ministry. And no matter who listens or who ignores us, no matter who stands with us or who stands against us, no matter how fruitful or how barren it may feel, fulfill your ministry. If you're one of the pastors or elders here this morning, fulfill your ministry. If you're a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader, fulfill your ministry. If you're a husband or a father, a wife or a mother, fulfill your ministry. If you're a servant of Christ, though many Others may be distracted by other things or slowing down. As for you, fulfill your ministry. Because Christ is coming. And since He is coming again, We must keep him in view until the race is through. We find this in verses 6 through 8. As Paul is getting real personal now, there's a sense in which he is saying, listen, Timothy, I'm giving you this charge because it's important. I'm giving you this charge because of the certainty of the fact that Christ is coming again in judgment and in reward. And I'm giving you this charge, Timothy, because it's time for you to step up to the plate Because I am at the end of my race. I'm at the end of my race. And let me just take a moment to say, uh, for those of us who are a little bit younger here, sometimes in the church we have this statement about the fact that our young people are the church of tomorrow. No, no, you're not. You are the church of today. But it is true. We need to be careful. We need to recognize that we are to step into that which God has called us into uh, uh, for, for, for years when we are younger, sometimes we, we look at others who are further along and we maybe consider that they're the ones who are doing the, 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 the fruitful work of ministry. They're the ones who are leading the way in different areas. They're the ones who are, who are uh, kind of taking new ground. They're the ones who are holding fast to the truth and we, we are sort of just riding along behind them. Looking out. Obviously, most of our children are in children's ministry right now. But if you're 30 and under, if you're 35, 40 and under, don't just look to those who are ahead. There's a sense in which we need to be ready. We need to step up. We need to be engaged. Just as, as Paul is, is telling Timothy here, he's like, hey, my race is almost done. And so there is an urgency for you to get to work in what God has called you to do. For I am already being poured out, it says in verse 6, as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So Paul here is, is expressing that he is being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of his departure has come again. He recognizes, I am going to be put to death very soon. And it's interesting, he uses this picture here that that comes from the Old Testament sacrificial system. And it's actually a beautiful picture because there, there are a many different offerings. And if you've uh, done a read through the Bible or if you have found yourself in the book of Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, you may have kind of got bogged down a little bit in some of those different offerings and sacrifices and thinking, "Wow, well, I don't understand all of this. So there's something unique about the drink offering amidst all of the other offerings, because you see two things specifically about a drink offering as Paul uh, describes him, his life in this way. The first is that a drink offering was never given on its own. That is, it was never given in isolation. It was usually um, uh, some sort of wine or something like that, and it would be poured over the sacrifice. And so if there was a sacrifice of a lamb, for example, or of a bull, if they were sacrificing that, then the drink offering would be poured over it. And as it hit and, it, and, and came over that, it was like a sweet-smelling aroma that would rise up from the offering. And so the drink offering itself had no particular efficacy. It had no, nothing on its own. It, it, it only was to, in, in a sense, enhance the aroma of the lamb that was being offered. Secondly, something interesting about the drink offering, and that is that, that almost all of the offerings that the people were to bring and that were sacrificed would be portioned out. And so they would put a portion of it on the altar to be burned up in sacrifice. And then a portion of it would go to support and to provide for the the Levites and the priests and their families. And so that was how they ate. That's how they provided for their family, a portion of that, but with a drink offering. Every last drop was to be poured out on the altar with none remaining with none left over. And so Paul gives this imagery here, this beautiful picture, to say my life is like a drink offering that brings nothing of particular worth, only, only as a sweet-smelling aroma poured out upon the sacrifice of my Lord the Lamb. And poured out fully and in every part, holding nothing back. A beautiful picture. And he goes on to say, with confidence, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Some have looked at this uh, familiar phrase, and they have said, well, he seems to be using three images there, maybe a military one and an athletic one and a, a religious one. But it's actually better that we understand this as being three athletic images. There's a sense in which he is saying, I have fought the fight as I have contended well. I have finished the race I, that is, I, I, I have completed the course. and I have kept the faith. I have competed according to the rules, without disqualification. And we see that in the sense that he then goes on to talk about the reward that is due him. And again, it was an athletic reward in the same way as today we might think of the Olympic Games. Back then, uh, they had various different games like the Ithmus Games. They had an early form of the Olympic Games and some others as well. And what they would do instead of giving the gold medal at the end is that they would give a crown of laurel wreaths for the winner to wear And he gives that imagery as he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This crown of righteousness seems to be a crowning of righteousness as we step into the fullness of who we are in Christ. It's one of five crowns that the New Testament speaks of. We don't have time to go into all of those today, but it is a reward for faithful service. And I want you to notice, in verse 1, the charge here is rooted in the certainty of the return of Christ. And then in verse 8, we see that Paul's successful finishing of the course and receiving the prize is rooted in the fact that he has not ceased to love Christ's appearing. And so, despite the opposition, despite the hardship, the imprisonment, the difficulty, and now even his impending death, it is the last things, and that it is Christ's return, that has enabled him to persevere and keep Christ in first place, in all we can put it this way. Remember the last things so as to keep Christ as first thing in all things. Remember the last things so as to keep Christ as first thing in all things. We are to live in light of Christ's return. More than that, according to what Paul says here as he writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are to love His appearing. That is, His coming again. But how do we do that? How do we love Christ's appearing? There are several things that I want us to consider. If we are to love His appearing... if if we are to be those who, like Paul, are able to say at the end of our life with great confidence that that I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now I receive the crown, the prize, then according to Paul here, we need to be those who, who have also loved His appearing. But if we're to do that, first of all, we must believe it. And that might seem really a rudimentary thing to say, but you check out the Gallup polls and the Pew surveys, and you'll see that nearly 60% of people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ do not believe in a second coming. Now, I don't know how you can possibly read Scripture and not believe that, but, but I, I want us to be careful here because sometimes we think of those things that are essential doctrines and those that are secondary doctrines. Let me be very clear. According to Jesus himself and every book of the New Testament, the sure and certain return of Christ is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. It's an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. We must love Him is appearing, we must believe and live in light of it. And again, it's one thing to profess something with our lips, and it's another thing to actually orient our life in light of that truth. We need to be those who believe it, not just in a professed statement, but who live in light of it. we are to love His appearing, we must believe that His appearing will be physical and bodily. And again, all through the New Testament, we see the certainty of this. In fact, back, if we were to take time to go back here in in 2 Timothy, we would see that in chapter 1, Paul uses this phrase, his appearing, to refer to the incarnation. And here now, and in five other places in Paul's letters, he uses the word appearing to refer to the second coming. So, in Paul's mind, the incarnation, that is Jesus taking on flesh and dwelling amongst us that we celebrate and think about at Christmas time, that, that he did that in the same way as he will appear. In other words, his appearing, his coming again, will be just as physical and just as bodily as His incarnation, that there is no difference. His appearing will be public. Matthew chapter 24 says, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In the book of Revelation chapter 1 tells us, behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him even so. Amen. His coming is certain. It is physical. It is public. It will be undeniable. He will appear with judgment and reward. And we've already seen that in this passage in verse 1. It talks about the fact that He is to judge the living and the dead. And then we see in verse 8 the reward that the righteous judge will give the crown of righteousness. And likewise, the very last Chapter in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, Jesus himself says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. If we're to love his appearing, we need to recognize that it will be unexpected, and we've talked about this in recent weeks. He will come as a thief in the night. If we're to love his appearing, we need to recognize that his appearing will be in victory and to reign and it will be glorious. It will be glorious. But if we're to love His appearing, we're not just to believe it. If we're to love His appearing, we also are to be preparing for it. I mentioned this earlier, but in every instance that the return of Christ is spoken about in the New Testament, it is always that we might know how to live in light of His coming. It's always with that goal, that we might be prepared. We prepare for His appearing by being expectant and watchful. And again, we see this illustrated in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus said to His disciples, stay awake and watch, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Uh, we look at the parables that Jesus told. For example, the parables—the uh, uh, parable of the ten uh, virgins. They, uh, they were awaiting the, the, the groom coming for the wedding. And they, they had oil lamps. And some of them were prepared with enough oil for the wait. Others ran out of oil. And the point of that parable was that, that we are to be like those who are wise. Prepared and ready and found Waiting expectantly on that day. We are to love his appearing as we prepare for it by being about the work that he has given us to do. Again, we've touched on this briefly in recent weeks, but we are to be ready for his coming. Knowing that he has entrusted to us a task, and that's the point that. Paul is making to Timothy here. No matter what others are doing, even if they're assembling for themselves people who are just saying what they want to hear, no matter what others are doing, you get down to business. Fulfill your ministry because we want to be found ready and waiting. We all know what it's like when we are expecting guests and we get the house ready and we're preparing and we're cleaning up or we're getting various different things ready. And certainly if they're going to stay with us for any period of time, it can often be a lot of preparation that we put into things. A couple of months back, we had invited several sets of friends to, uh, to come over to our home on a particular Saturday evening. And uh, so we were looking forward to that. It was coming up in a couple of weeks. And, and uh, uh, so we were beginning just to think about, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to serve food-wise? Those sorts of things. And lo and behold, the Saturday before this was going to happen, we were sat kind of kicking back uh, and, uh, um, uh, late in the afternoon and knock, knock, knock at the door and some of one family who we had invited over for the next week obviously mixed up their Saturdays. And so we opened the door, and they're like, Hi, oh, we're so sorry we're late. I hope, we, hope you've not been waiting for us for too long. And I'm like, No, nope, we have not. And, and so you find yourself in that awkward moment, and you're like, Do we tell them, or do we just act as if nothing happened and scramble... And we went for the scramble option and we had a great evening. But you know what? There was that moment when they showed up. Even though, in that instance, they got the date wrong, there was that moment when we thought, oh, we're not ready. We're not ready. Friends, we don't know the day or the hour, but through the New Testament again and again, if we're to love his appearing, we are to prepare for it. We're to be about the work that he's given us to do so that we don't stand there and open the door when he knocks on it. I thought it was going to be next week, Jesus. What difference would it make if you knew for sure that Christ was coming at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning? how would we spend these next 24 hours? We are to prepare, for, to prepare for His appearing by pursuing Christ-likeness and purity. We saw this last week in 2 Peter chapter 3. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, and this is talking about at the return of Christ, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? Therefore, beloved, since we are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish. And at peace. And so again, we we love his appearing by being prepared, by pursuing godliness, by pursuing holiness. We are to make it our ambition to be found as much like Christ as we possibly can on that day of his return, though we do not know the day or the hour. We are to love his appearing by longing for it. A longing for it, we develop a longing when we dwell on the wonder of His coming, in our thought, in our speech, in our prayer. How long, O oh Lord, in our song, like some of the great old hymns of the faith, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and bring me home, What joy shall fill my heart? then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. We need to cry out in praise to teach our heart to love and to look forward to His coming. We develop a longing when we see the brokenness of this world and we find ourselves crying out, Lord, come quickly, when we switch on the news and we see yet another child shot in the city of Chicago, when we, when we hear about the travesty of young girls being sold into slavery all around the world, when we hear about, uh, uh, about people who, who are trying to get into a country as a refugee or, or, or to flee from danger, and they are in a storage container, a shipping container without food, Or water. And we quit. Getting mad. Whoever the other political party is. When we hear those news. And say they should be doing this. And if they did this. Then this wouldn't be a problem. And instead we cry out. Oh God. Bring justice. Oh Lord. Come quickly. And when we stand over the casket. Of a friend. Or a loved one. And as we grieve, we do so, not as those who have no hope, but with that quiet confidence in our soul that even in the brokenness of that moment and the recognition that this is wrong, that there is coming a day when Christ comes and there will be no more death. Do you love his appearing? Do you long for it? But ultimately, we learn to love His appearing when the deceitful luster of this world no longer enamors us. Because the truth of the matter is, as we're gathered here, even for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, there are some of us here this morning who cannot love His appearing because we love other things so much. We love other things so much more. Some of the obstacles that we have we need to look at very quickly. We love the idea of Christ's return more than we love Christ's return. Some of us love eschatology and we are constantly reading books and doing studies and looking at charts and trying to do this and trying to impress other people on our knowledge of this view and this view and this view and this view. Who cares? It is never about impressing one another with the details. Do you love theology more than you love Christ? Christ. We are to love and long for His return. And by the way, if that's you and you're always doing studies on end time stuff, study something else. But if you're here and you never study end time stuff, then maybe it's time you did. Some of us have the obstacle that we love the idea of Christ's return more than his return. Some of us are in a place where we are lazy. We know what Christ has called us to do, but we have lost a sense of holy urgency. We came to Christ and maybe there was that initial passion, that initial fervor, but it's almost like we are those who have set out on a journey. And even though we've got the destination in mind, as we are driving along the road, we come to the first rest stop and we pull over and take a rest and we think, it's kind of nice here. It's kind of comfortable. We, we don't really need to get back on the road yet. Why don't we just enjoy the rest area? None of us would ever do that on a journey, and yet sometimes we are prone to do that as we lose a sense of holy urgency in our walk with Christ. For some of us, we cannot love His appearing because we are so overwrought with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. We love the pursuit of money. We love the pursuit of success. We love trying to get ahead. We love sexual gratification. We love all sorts of different things, and the idea that Christ is returning fills us with a sense of both fear and indignation. I don't want you to come back because I'm too busy chasing after my stuff. For some, our bucket lists trump our longing for Christ's return. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it would be good if you came, Jesus, but if you can just hold off because I want to do this and this and this and this. Oh, and I'd love to do this first. We don't have a sense that there is nothing on earth that can even begin to compare with the glory to be revealed at the coming of Christ. Friends, if you're in Christ, we might ask the question, how can we... How can we keep Christ as first place in our lives? And how can we have the kind of confidence that the Apostle Paul here speaks of that maybe at the end of our lives we'd be able to say, I have, I, I, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I, I, I have kept the faith. Keep on remembering the last things so that you can keep Christ as the first thing. In all things, and love and long for his coming because it is sure, it is certain, and there will be a joy on that day unlike any other that we have ever known. Our Father. we stand before Your holy presence and in the presence of Your Son, our Savior, who is coming again to judge and to bring His holy reward. Lord, would You teach us to live in light of the certainty of Christ's coming and to love His appearing. Teach us to long for You And may the things of this world that so easily entangle us, Lord, would you teach us to loosen our grip on them as we look more and more to the splendor of Christ. Lord, we don't know that day. We don't know when it will be. But Lord, should you tarry We would ask that we would be able to, with that same kind of confidence as the Apostle Paul, be able to declare that indeed we have fought the fight, run the race, and kept the faith. We look forward to that day of reward. But we cry out also, come quickly. Come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we continue to worship this
0: morning.
2: Worthy of every song we could ever sing. All the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath We could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the hope of every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. We sing holy. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath.
0: If you are not building your life upon Jesus and and his plans for you I encourage you to talk to somebody before you leave if you are not looking forward to the second coming of Christ if you don't know what that means please do not leave without talking to somebody otherwise go in love and peace to serve our awesome God this morning